If you go to all the stories about Abraham before this, Abraham hears God. He never sees God. And God shows up in these weird shapes, like he picks up this pot of food with fire and floats it in front of Abraham. He, Abraham never gets to see God. No one has seen God since the Garden of Eden, not since the first two people, not since Adam and Eve. No one has seen the face of God, but you know who just saw the face of God? You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. You know, I think we all go through seasons of discouragement. And for me as a pastor, when I am discouraged the last, I don't know, uh, throughout the last 10 years or so, it's always been moments with people in the church. It, it has never been numbers that encourage me or things like that, but it's the certain type of people. It's if I'm spending time with people and I just really think they are special. I think to myself, if this type of person is here and wants to be a part of the things that we're doing, surely we have to be doing something right, right? And so for me, moments like the concession stand, uh, I went down to both different groups. The one on the, on the visitor side, wow, we sent some interesting people over there, let me just say. <laughs> We had a lot of deans over there. I'll say that, right? We're like, let's give the visitors the deans. We had Jerry and Steve and James over there. I mean, it was a, it was a crew over there. Uh, I just want to say this. It's not, it's the type of people. It really is. It's, it's the type of people who we have here at Grace Church, which is the most encouraging thing. Uh, the coffee of the pastor is my favorite thing to do. If you haven't done it, please do it. Uh, I love to sit down and get to know you. It's, it's the reason we do this, right? It's the, the chance to find out who you are and things God's doing in your life, and it's always the stuff that means the most to me. It's the most encouraging thing that we do here at Grace Church. With all that said, now we get to the fun stuff we do here at Grace Church. Uh, who was here last week for the story of uh, the one with the guy and the fish? Anybody catch that? About Jonah? It was good. If you did not catch it, you probably should. You'll probably enjoy it. It's a good story. The whole idea of this series, right? Bible stories for adults, is that we were told these stories as children. In these classrooms over here, right, we're teaching them Bible stories. Amen, hallelujah. But we can't teach them all of it, correct? Anybody? Anybody? You guys are like, what? When we're not teaching them. Well, I'll explain today, okay? There are things in these stories which, on a funny note, are just X-rated. There's a lot of things that happen in these stories that we really just can't teach them, right? We have to skip over them, right? And then there's things that happen in these stories that are just deep. They're just a little too deep. They, the, the children haven't been through life enough. They haven't had uh, enough scars, enough disappointments or losses or betrayals. They can't understand these parts of the story. But what's happening in these stories is that these are actually what the stories are all about. Uh, it, it's these deep kind of human questions that are being asked in these stories. And the reason that I love the Bible, I, I, I go through highs and lows with the Bible. I go th in seasons where I don't want to mess with it very much, and then seasons where I love it. And here's why. Um, I was, uh, this past spring, we had a baseball team, and these kids, you know, they're like they're young. And this one parent, I bought this kid a baseball bat, $300 baseball bat, amen, hallelujah. And this kid was out in the parking lot throwing rocks. Coach, look at this one. Ting! And I about lost it. I said, Do you know it? Give me that bat. What are you doing, child, right? He goes, but it's great at hitting rocks. True, point made. This, this $300 stick is phenomenal at hitting rocks, okay? 
but it's not made for that, right? You're missing the value of what this thing was made for. And often the Scriptures are treated the same way. Yes, if you want to take this $300 bat that has all this science and all this energy and all these hours and money was spent to develop this beautiful bat for a dumb parent to buy their child. It's okay, I bought one too, all right? Okay. But you're missing the value of it to waste this amazing thing hitting rocks with it. And often the scriptures are used that way. Uh, who has a Facebook account? That's using the Bible to hit rocks. Amen, hallelujah. There you go. It's not meant for that. Please don't use it for that. No! Ding! Look how great this bat hits rocks. Now, there are things that this, this book, these scriptures are meant for. These... Uh, Exquisite things, beautiful things, deep things, meaningful things, life-changing things. And so in these, uh, these old stories that we were told as children, the goal of this series is to take us back into these stories to see the real value. It's important for us to introduce our children to these stories at kind of a, a shallow level. It's important because we need to get them exposed to it so that in the future we can take them deeper into it. So this morning, I plan to take you into a deeper story that you might not fully uh, have caught all the details to. And so this one's called The One with the Two Moms, the Two Kids, and the One Baby Daddy. (laughs) Amen, hallelujah, right? That's not in the Bible. What are you talking about? You don't know the one talking about. We're talking about the story, Abraham and Sarah trying to conceive a child. Uh, In chapter 15 and 14, uh, Abraham has received this amazing promise from God. And you will be this nation that will number the stars and your people will be a blessing to the world, the Gentiles. We, We talked about this in our story last week. This is the crux of the Old Testament. There is this God who has seen this man and he said that he is special. Abraham, you are special and I will do something special through you. So years are now passing. In chapters uh, 15, we have this encounter with the Egyptians. And in Egypt, they, the promise is almost derailed. We have this, uh, this threat of danger. They almost were robbed and things they want are almost taken. But now they're through that. And so now it's been about 10 years. And so what happens in this story, right, is that, is that now they've been waiting around. The promises come from God. And so now when someone has promised you something... Think back to your parents, right? Hey, I promise I'll take you to Branson next month, okay? And when the month came around, they didn't do it. And then two months, and then three months. And you start, in, in your heart and mind, you begin to go, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. It's almost Christmas season, so I always talk about my favorite thing around Christmas. Layaway, anybody? You know, it hardly exists now, but back whenever I was a kid, layaway was the thing. It was the best way for your parents to make an empty promise. Look, I'm putting 50 cents down. I will buy this thing in a year and a half. Come on, anybody who remembers layaway? I promise I'll buy it. I'm putting a dollar towards it. Here, it's going to be stuck in this back room. Don't worry, your promise is locked away with all the other 50 cent promises. Amen. Come on, that's good. That's good. If I had layaway now as a parent, I would use it all the time. We would not. We would not. We would not toy with our children's emotions like that, right? (laughs) And so here's Abraham and Sarah. They've been waiting on layaway to come to pass, right? Okay, it's been a year. It's been two years, three years, four, and now we're up to ten. Oh, and by the way, I'm in my 90s. 
my 90s, and the promise you had was that I was going to bear a child. If we've been trying to do this for around 70 years, and it hasn't happened yet, are the odds looking good? Do we have any um, math whizzes in the house? Anybody? What are the chances now, right? We've been trying for 70 years, hasn't happened yet, not looking very good. And so the question begins to arise. Can God be trusted? Oh, now, that's a question to ask. The reason that the Scriptures are so valuable, uh, if you're someone who's been in the faith a long time, if you're someone who is not a believer, see, the Bible is extremely relevant uh, because the questions it asks are still questions that we ask today. Maybe you don't even believe in a God or in Jesus or any of that. Is this universe, is this world, is this, is this place, these cosmos, is this a, a safe place? Is this a trustworthy place? Is this a place that I can put my guard down and expect good things to happen to me? It's a powerful question. Can God be trusted? And so, in the verses 1 through 4 here in the text, we had this conversation between them. Sarah says to Abraham, okay, we've been doing this thing. It's not happening. So, we're going to figure out a way to make it happen. Have you ever been waiting on that promise to happen and you were tired of waiting on someone else to do it? Anyone? Anyone? And you decide to make it happen yourself. Okay, so if we just do this and this and this, we can get it. We can make that thing happen. All we have to do is these steps. Let's go do it. And she says, Abraham, all we've got to do, I've got this slave over here. She's from Egypt. She's not even a concubine. She's a slave. She has no rights whatsoever. I own her. Hey, you know what? Why don't you just put your seed in this woman, have her baby, and that baby I'll claim as my baby. Read the text if you're paying attention. That's exactly what she says. I'll have you have a baby with her, and then I'll claim that baby as my own. And then everyone goes, oh, that's kind of messed up. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the one who instigates this entire thing is Sarah. You know what? I've got a, a plan. Here, take this woman. And we've all done this before, right? We've all been tired of waiting. And in some way, shape, or form, when we begin to move to make a promise happen, it's because we've lost trust in the other person to make it happen. So mom and dad promised to take me to Branson. Hasn't happened. But hey, guess what? I heard the walkers are going to Branson. And so I'm going to ask Judah if I can go with them. No one's laughing. Okay. Because you don't know the answer. No, your kid's not coming. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Joking. I'd love to take all your children to Branson. It'd be a dream. It'd be a vacation. And so we're going to make it happen. Because there's somewhere in my heart and mind that I've realized that God is not trustworthy. I can't trust him. Now, this isn't sinking in enough for you, but it should there is a place in every life in this room that you've decided that God is not going to come through for you. So you're going to make it happen on your own. You know, God hasn't protected me in this situation. I'm going to make it happen. The income isn't what we need. I'm going to make it happen. That thing that we wanted, maybe it was that child that we wanted, hasn't happened. Let's make it happen. We come to a place where we are tired of waiting. And that waiting eats at our heart and we decide that maybe God isn't He's not worth trusting. 
And so if you go through here in verses 4 through 6, you find out that Sarah offers Hagar. Abraham sleeps with Hagar. It's so funny in the text. She goes, here's my, here's my slave. Will you sleep with her? And it says, and Abraham slept with her. Because <laughs> he fought really hard. No, I wouldn't do that. Come on, adults. Welcome. No, I would. No, that's awful. Terrible idea. And of course, he's like, sure. Done. Come on. It's funny. Be an adult. It's in the text. He does not argue a single ounce. Not a word. Hey, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. It's the best idea you've ever had, Sarah. <laughs> Come on, it's funny. Sto- stories for adults. We're not teaching your kids this over there, I promise. Now, have you ever tried to make something happen on your own, and you actually got what you wanted, and then when you got what you wanted, you realized it wasn't what you wanted? You know what I'm talking about? Most times in my life, when there was something I was waiting on God to do for me. And I found a way to say, you know what? He's just waiting on me to do this. You know, it's me that's missing because if God's not, if God's not moving, if he's sitting on his butt, probably he's waiting for me to do something. So I'm just going to make it happen. Amen. Hallelujah. And I would jump in there and make it happen. And I would get what I wanted and go, I don't really want this. This is awful. Oh man, I want to make Branson jokes real bad. But you guys love Branson, don't you? I love Branson too. Come on. There's a moment when you get what you asked for and you go, maybe this wasn't what I really wanted. (laughs) I laugh. I like it. Maybe this is not what I thought it was going to be. So what happens here in the story is, of course, he sleeps with Hagar and Hagar has a child. Now, this was Sarah's plan. This was the plan. And guess what? It goes perfectly. And the scripture just says that Hagar, when she realized she was pregnant, she despised Sarah. Now, the way it's taken is like, it's almost like she makes fun of Sarah. But I think there's more going on here. She might have done that. She might have been an absolute jerk to Sarah. Ah, look how easy it is for me to get pregnant, and you can't. I'm sure that happened. But there's something else happening here. You're talking about a woman who literally has no power, has no say over her body, her life. She has no choices of her own. She doesn't control when she wakes up, what she eats, the things she does. She has no power over anything in her entire life. She is an object in the story. If you notice, she's never even called by name. If you look at the text, everyone else talks to each other by their name. And Sarah said to Abram, and Abram addressed Sarah. But they never talk to her. They call her slave. You have just been taken from your homeland in Egypt and now your, your slave owner, Sarah, has offered you to her husband, and now you have someone else's husband's baby in your body. Do you think you would be thrilled about this? Would you feel really good feelings about Sarah? Sarah, thank you so much. Come on, wake up, adults. Thank you for your husband's baby in my body. This is what I always wanted. Thank you. Dream come true. And everyone goes, I don't like these Bible stories. These are awful stories. (laughs) You're right. And so what ends up happening, Sarah, she goes to Abraham and says, hey, the slave is now being mean to me. She's mad at me. And he says, hey, it's your slave. Do what you want to do. It's amazing how passive Abraham is in all this. He has to be like Enneagram 9, probably. And he's just going, ah, just, you know, whatever. Hey, you asked for it. You got what you wanted. I'm out of this. I'm not involved in this thing. So it says that he goes and she abuses. She treats harshly. It all depends on your translation. I like the word abused. 
she goes and abused Hagar. So Sarah goes and takes her anger out on this woman. We don't know what this means, but I think that you can use your imagination. This woman has what you've always wanted. She has a baby now with your own husband, a piece of trash in your eyes who now has everything that you think has value. How would you treat her? Especially if you didn't see her as a human. Apparently the abuse gets so bad that Hagar flees. She runs away. And by the way, remember, they're in Canaan. She's running away into a desert. How bad did this have to be that she would choose to be alone by herself wandering in the desert while pregnant? She'd rather run away in the desert than stay with the abuse that she's taking from Sarah. So she flees and she runs away. And then I want to take you to the best part of the entire story. These are verses 7 through 13. I actually want to read this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, if you read this, as most of us read scriptures, you're going to read right past this. If you read this like a story the way we should, you would stop on this. What's he really asking her? Where have you come from? Where are you going? The first thing I want you to note here is that he addresses her by her what? Her name. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this. Have you ever been in a situation where someone was so angry at you, they despised you so much that like, they wouldn't even address you? In high school, you see this sometimes with uh, girls, right, in high school. Who is talking to me? I don't, you know, I won't even hear her. She don't even exist to me, you know what I'm talking about? If so-and-so is saying such-and-such, she better say it to you, and then you can talk to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Jason all the time. (laughs) Jason's like, I don't know what's happening here. This is not my experience of high school. There is an experience when someone will not even acknowledge that you exist, Right? If you're married, you've had this before. That's what the couch is, by the way. That's what the couch means. You don't exist. Not in my bed, you don't. And she, someone addresses her. Someone sees her. And then the first question that God asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? These, again, as I've told you, I don't care what your spiritual beliefs are. The Bible has value for you. Because these are questions that you are asking yourself. Here's the first one. When he asks, where have you come from? Understand, he's not asking about a location. He he doesn't want to know the road you took. He's asking this, what have you been through? What have you just experienced that would cause you to run away into the desert all by yourself? What could be so painful that you would run away from all safety, from all people, and would hide yourself over here? In your worst moments, often, we want someone to ask us what we've just experienced. What was it like? Where have you been? And the second question, where are you going? Meaning, what is it that moves you now? What are you searching for? What do you want in your life? Gosh, those are powerful questions. Those are questions that maybe half of us can answer right now. Tell me about your past, all of it, the full story. And and secondly, where do you want your life to go? 
Man, this God is direct. I love it. And she responds, I'm running away from, uh, from Sarah, she answered. Now, if you notice, she only answers half the question. She's, I highly doubt anyone has ever asked her what she wants. Have you ever walked out to a, to a squirrel on the tree? Hey, what do you want, squirrel? You don't care what the squirrel wants. It's a thing to you. Tree, what do you want? Minivan, what do you want? I'm just going to stay in the parking lot for an hour talking to my vehicle and see if anyone, you, if you notice. When you see something as an object, you don't ask it what its desires are. She's never been asked this question. She cannot answer it. She doesn't even know what she wants. All she knows is pain. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. This sounds pretty harsh. I don't have time to open this up. Verse 10, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Here's what's interesting. She couldn't answer what she wants, but he is filling it in for her. I'll explain this in a second. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery, meaning pain, meaning he knows exactly what you've been through. Your son will be a wild donkey of a man. Think of like a bronco. Like when you hear donkey, we all go, okay, donkeys are dumb. Like we hate donkeys. Yeah, I mean, who likes donkeys? I mean, who likes broncos either, right? I mean, football, okay. But it's a different imagery, right? He's not saying donkey to say this, this person has no value. Because in our culture, a donkey doesn't have the kind of value a horse does. It's not about that. He's talking about nature. This is going to be a strong, spirited man. He's going to be like a wild bronco. And his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Now, this is not a curse. This is more of a a prophecy. This is telling her what's going to happen. This is not God saying, I'm going to curse your son to be always fighting. Question for you. If you grew up in a home with no father, and the only story you've ever heard is that you were rejected, not good enough for your family, and you were sent away, how would you grow up? I'll leave it at that. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Understand this, first of all. This is the first moment in in the Scriptures since the Garden of Eden that the Scriptures tell us that someone has seen God. If you go to all the stories about Abraham before this, Abraham hears God. He never sees God. And God shows up in these weird shapes, like he picks up this pot of food with fire and floats it in front of Abraham. Abraham never gets to see God. No one has seen God since the Garden of Eden, not since the first two people, not since Adam and Eve. No one has seen the face of God, but you know who just saw the face of God? Hagar, the person with no name, the slave, the worthless piece of trash that no one cares about. The first person that God would show himself to. Would you like to know something else? Interesting. There's only one person in the entire Bible who gets to name God. Would you like to know who that is? Guess. Hagar. 
This is the only instance in the entire Scriptures that someone gets to assign a name to God. Hey, this is who you are. Every other instance, it's God giving them a name for Himself. And you shall call me. Think about that. He doesn't even stop her. He doesn't correct her. He doesn't halt her. He doesn't strike her dead. For you are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. Everyone says, that's terrific. <laughs> Ber Lahai Roy, that's, that's a great name. Here's what the name means. It means the well of the living one who sees me. And so this well, which exists, was called, this is the well of the, the, the one who's alive, the one who breathes, the one who, who moves, the one who can be seen, the one who speaks to us, the living one who sees me. Now, if, you're not, if you haven't been here before, if you're not here today, then it's hard for you to connect to this. But there's something about being seen which the human soul cries out for. Often in our relationships with friends, with coworkers, with bosses, with spouses, with children, when we get the most brokenhearted, it's when we feel like we are not acknowledged. That there's a part of us that, that like they just don't get, or they just don't, don't see, that they just don't accept or value about us. They just don't. They miss it. They miss who we are. Again, back to these ancient human questions. All the way back to ancient philosophers, there are questions about why does a human being want to be known? There's no human who was ever born who doesn't want someone else to know them, to understand them, to connect to them in some way. Here it is, this ancient question being asked again and being met. The God who sees me. I just love this story. What's beautiful about this is that what most of us were taught is that this is the story about where all the Arabs and Islam comes from. If you've never been taught that. Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac is the blessed child who goes on to create Israel. And Ishmael is the cursed child who goes on to create Islam. And they will always be at war. If you go on to chapter 17, you see that God blesses both sons. That God pronounces a blessing over Hagar and Ishmael. He says, I've already made my covenant with Abraham. My covenant is going to be with Abraham and his son Isaac. But you, Ishmael, and you, Hagar, you are blessed. And I will make sure my blessing is on you, and you will create a big nation, and you will have 12 tribes, and you will... Now see, I told you last week, the Old Testament has this constant theme in it. Israel could never figure out God. God was a fickle God, meaning hard to predict. The way I always read the story was here is the, the good mom, Sarah. Here's the bad mom and Hagar. Here's the good son, the blessed son, Isaac, and the cursed son, Ishmael. And here's what happens when you try to interfere with God's plans. Curses and blessings. But both get blessed. And by the way, I'm sorry about this, but the way that most people who would understand Judaism would say this, the greatest blessing goes to Hagar. She's the only one who gets to see God. It's not Abraham. It's not Sarah. It's not even Isaac. The only one who gets to see God, the only one who gets to create this interconnected, deep relational bond is Hagar. Such a powerful story this is. 
Even as I'm prepping this, this sermon, I'm getting frustrated with the story. I'm like, well, it just doesn't end the way you want it to end. You know, it doesn't make a really convenient conclusion. Oh, well, here's how we, you know, make sense of this whole thing. Here's the good guy. Here's the bad guy. But here's why this is powerful. Because it all comes back to this well. The well of the God who is alive. The God who sees me. See, I think that one of the most harmful things that most of us have been taught about God is that we have a God who will always fix things for us. There's always a solution. God will always come through. All we have to do is get the formula right. So I know that like when Brother Sean, when he came out of autism, we knew that God was the one who would fix everything. Of course he's going to heal Sean. We just got to figure out our end of the bargain. We have to say the right prayer. Maybe we need to fast more. Maybe we need to take him to, oh, a Benny Hinn crusade. Hey, it's Fallback Sunday. Have you guys seen that gif? Benny Hinn in the jacket and everyone's falling down the stage. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody? Okay. Yeah, one person. Woo! Got it. Deep connection. Got that. Okay. Well, Maybe if we go to a different speaker. Maybe if we speak this verse over him or that verse. Or maybe if we up the prayer time from one hour to two hours, then God will do something. Maybe if we go from three hours to six hours. Maybe if we get the whole church. Maybe if we get people all across the country to pray for him. Maybe, maybe, maybe someday we'll figure out what God wants from us so he'll do what he's supposed to do. And at some point, if that's what you've been told and you're trying all the things and it never happens, it takes you to one place. Maybe we can't really trust God. Maybe He won't really come through on His promise. Now, you might not have experienced this place in life yet, and if you haven't, you will. At some point, you will face an experience where there's no one else who can help you, though, in the way that you need help. There's no one else who can comfort you. You can't fix it. You can't change it. And you actually begin to be desperate for God to show up. We will all come to that place. Whether you lose someone, whether you you lose a marriage or a child or a job or a dream, or when you are in your deathbed, you will all come to that place. And the promise is not that God is going to fix everything right now. That's not the promise. And it it, it wasn't ever the promise. The promise is actually the one that we need, and it's this. It's that it doesn't matter what is happening around us. It doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter how other people see us. It doesn't even matter how guilty we are. In that moment, we have a God who is alive, who is close to us. We have a God who sees us. Now, this is a powerful thing. If you have ever been guilty of anything in your life, there are moments where you have made the wrong choices and you have come to a place where you don't think that you deserve anyone to help you. Or you've been through a situation where you just know that no one else is going to help you. There's no one else who cares about me. Everyone just ignores me. I'm always the one who gets left out. I'm always the one who gets overlooked. They always pay attention to my spouse. They always pay attention to my brother. They always pay attention to my parents. I'm always the employee who the boss just misses. I'm always the one who gets ignored or I get overlooked for the promotion. I'm always the one who doesn't get seen. 
Or maybe people only see me from my giftings. They only see my big personality. They don't really see me, though. People only see the things I do for them. They don't really know who I am. The God who sees me. The only person in the entire Bible who gets the name God is the one person who seemed that no one else cares about. The one person who no one else sees value in. The one person who no one else cares to even call by her name. This thing, this object, this piece of trash. That's all she is. And she gets to be the first one to see the face of God. She's the first one that God breaks the rules for, by the way. The promise in the garden was that you will be kept out of my presence. Sorry, you missed it. You messed up. No more chances. From now on, there will always be separation. If there's a temple, there's always going to be levels you can't come into. If there is a tent, there's always going to be an area of the tent that you're not allowed in. You can never come close to me anymore, but there's someone God breaks the rules for. This one. Think about that. And the book of Hebrews talks about all the, the heroes of the faith, the men of great faith who obeyed God. Guess what? They didn't get this. Only one person got that. I love that type of God. This is the type of God who I can be excited about. I can be passionate about. I can trust that type of God. Would you guys stay with me this morning? This is uh, Communion Sunday, and so we're going to make the table available. I've been doing this a lot lately, last few weeks. I've just, the way that our time has been going, but also just, I think there's something to this. We typically take this all together, and, but I also think that, that there is value sometimes in allowing us to take it kind of privately. You know, I think that the one thing about every person in the room is that there's something which you hide from others, right? There's a part of your past. Where have you been from? part of your experiences, which you don't, you don't just share that with everyone. The question of where are you going? There are dreams and desires and hopes and even fantasies inside of your heart and mind. These are things that keep you moving in life. It could be a dream for your children. It could be for you or a business or... You don't just share those things, everyone. There's a part of every one of us that we keep hidden away from others. And the invitation is to invite God to that place. We have a God who knows us through and through, but we have a God who wants to be with us where we are. And this is a powerful thing. Often, I've made the mistake as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, I make the mistake of thinking the answer is fixing things. And all the men go, yes, it's not always the answer. When your wife is crying and saying these things, she doesn't want you to fix it. She wants you to what? Listen. But how do I listen? <laughs> I'm trying to fix it for you. What do you want? You want me to cry with you? I'm trying. I'm sad. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, though. There's a place inside of us that there are, the fix isn't always what we need. What we want deeper than the fix is we want to not be lonely. Someone to be in it with us. Father, we ask that you would allow us as broken humans today to face the parts of our past, the question of 
where have we been? There are parts of our story are the lowest lows and things where people have hurt us, have taken things from us, we've hurt others. Places, parts of our stories that we're not willing to share with anyone. That you would give us courage today to share that with you. Where are we going? There are dreams that we have, there are desires, there are aspirations, there are pictures of our future that we're not willing to share with anyone because we're embarrassed, we're too afraid it won't happen. It's a pipe dream. It's selfish. And we ask today that you give us the courage to let you in there as well. And so as we come for communion this morning, uh, we ask that we would be able to be alone with you. That we would come to the well of the one who is alive and the one who sees us. You are the God who sees us. Even if no one else does. You see us. You know us. You care about us. And you have good plans for us. In Jesus' name.